you, Neil. Good morning. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> I'm just going down. Good morning, everyone. Happy Sabbath. Um, as Neil said before, my name is Jess, um, and Kim and I both have the privilege of. privilege of finishing off this month's hashtag just do it series where we've been talking about trusting God um, and specifically today we'll be touching base on trusting God even when it means leaving everything behind Um, and when I got asked to preach about this I kind of chuckled to myself a little bit because I've kind of been on this to be real incredible roller coaster experience journey when it comes to trusting God over the past year two years Um, and being honest, I'm not 100% there yet. I still um, fail when it comes to trusting God. But that's okay because he's a good God and he's still with me no matter what. Um, and he understands that it's a journey. Um, so I am feeling a little bit nervous. Just bear with me. This is the first time I've preached before. So if I ramble or talk really fast or look down at my notes or uh, say um too much, um, bear with me. I'm very sorry. But if you want to close your heads, um, close your eyes and bow your heads. Um, We'll start by praying. Um, Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for everything that you've done and everything that you're doing in this place, Lord. I just really pray that you'll send your Holy Spirit down here um, to be with us, that it settle on our hearts this morning. Um, And I just really pray that the words that come out of my mouth and Kim's mouth will be um, wholly yours, God, and that um, you'll be given all the glory this morning. So we pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Awesome. So we're going to be talking about the story of Ruth and Naomi. Um, And it's this incredible, sometimes um, quite overlooked story that happens um, in the judges when the judges are reigning um, back in the Torah kind of days in the Old Testament. Um, It's this incredible story about trusting God and how trusting in Him, no matter what, can overcome any types of odds or adversities or any of that. Um, And I'm just going to give you a little bit of context, a little bit of a recap of how they got to this place. Um, So Elimelech. Could have just butchered his name, not sure, we're going to go with Elimelech. Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons are Israelites, living in the tribe of Judah in a little um, town called Bethlehem. And pretty much how they kind of came to be there is back in Exodus when Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, where they were slaves um, for multiple years. So Moses led by God, led the Israelites out of Egypt um, and through the wilderness. And they went through a lot of hiccups along the way where... um, they couldn't, they went to go into the promised land that God had, you know, laid out before them. Um, something happened, and so God led them through the wilderness yet again for 40 more years. And so they're walking, walking along, and through this time, they went into lots of battles um, with other cities. And finally, um, after wandering around the wilderness, they settled into the promised land that God, you know, promised them so many years ago. Um, and they settled into 12 tribes, and Judah, which is where the story takes place, is at the bottom of the land of Canaan. Um, And this is where our story begins with Naomi and Elimelech and their family. So pretty much what happens is, if you haven't read it, at the very start of Ruth in 1, the family is fleeing the promised land that their ancestors may have lived in for a few hundred years. Um, So they're fleeing, and it's because there's a massive famine that's happening over the land. And it's kind of funny because in Deuteronomy 11, God just talks about how um, he he told the Israelites when they first settled in the promised land, he said, there will always be enough food for you. There will always be enough water. I will always send rain. There will be grass for your cattle. Um, 
if only you just um, faithfully abide by the promises and instructions um, that I have laid out before you and, and if you love me with all your heart. So number one, pretty much what is happening is there's a now a famine in the promised land, which means Israel as a nation has fallen short. And it pretty much means that they have, yes, yeah, started worshipping other gods. They're not faithfully abiding by the instructions that God gave them. And this is the first point of contact that I found with this verse. Because being honest, I fall short so much. And running, when a problem occurs, running away is such a natural human mechanism of ours. Um, and there's so many times in my life where I ran away instead of staying and trusting in God and trusting that he had my back. And this is what this family is doing. They are running. And they run to... They run away to a, pa- a neighboring pagan nation called Moab. Um, not to mention this nation was very mean to their, to their people back a few years before. Um, so they have settled in. The husband, the wife, the two sons have now found wives, Ruth and Orpha. Um, skip forward a few years and unfortunately the f- husband passes away. And so does the two sons. And... I don't know about you guys, but when I read the Bible, it can be the hardest thing in the whole entire world. Like if these writers were writers in today's day and age, they wouldn't be selling very many books because it's so hard to read it and to imagine yourself in their situation or to imagine that this actually even happened. So I was sitting there and I was reading this Bible verse, um, Bible story, um, and yeah, I was just trying to put myself in her shoes. And you see Naomi, um, where she was and what happened, it would have been the lowest of the lowest situations in in the ancient world. You know, she was a widow. She had no sons, no inheritance to her name, no children to look after her money-wise. So pretty much she just would have been in this place where she's just lost all hope. But uh, God is good, amen, and he um, obviously had a different plan for her. So if you guys have your Bibles here, I'm going to open up to Ruth 1, 6 to 15, and if up on the screen should potentially be up on the screen if not listen um, and I will read it so it says when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them she and her two daughters-in-law so Ruth um, the one that we all know of um, pretty much and Orpah the one who's not so not so well known prepared to return home from there with her two daughters-in-law she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters, go back each of you to your mother's home. And pretty much in the next few verses, we see um, Naomi telling these two girls, go back. There's nothing for you where I'm going. I don't have any more sons for you. I have no money. You are better off staying in your own land. Um, And then we skip down to verse 14, and it says, at this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye um, and left, whereas Ruth clung to her. Then Naomi says, look, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Go with her. Um, And then skip down a little bit as well. And then Ruth is kind of saying, no, I want to be with you. And she says, where you will go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Um, And when Kim and I sat down to kind of talk about what we were going to share with you this morning, I was very unsure and very nervous 
Um, and I just didn't know how to relate it to our lives and how to relate it to your lives either. And she kind of just like looked at me and she said, Jess, like this is what you've been going through for the past two years. And I kind of just looked at her and I was like, you know, thinking. And as I got more into this story and more into this Bible verse, I realized, hey, hold up. I can actually relate to this story. And funnily enough, I think I relate more often than not, more to Orpah than to Ruth. Um, Because Ruth, as a Christian, is hashtag goals. Like, that's where I want to be. I want to be able to drop everything and leave and follow God's calling. But more often than not, um, Orpah is our reality. Um, And I don't know if a lot of you know kind of where I grew up or how I grew up or how I came to be here. Um, But I grew up in the Pentecostal church all my life. and church was life, like literally. I would be there four nights a week. I had young adults events, youth groups, Friday night youth groups. All day Sunday, we had three church services. Um, and I was very involved in the, in the worship team and youth leading. So it was pretty much my life. My whole family was there. They were all serving. Um, and yeah, life was good. I loved it. I loved church. Um, and then a few years ago, God kind of dropped in my spirit that... Um, you know, I started actually kind of questioning my faith a little bit um, and realized that God was kind of calling me to move and to change into the SBA faith. Um, And there's nothing to do with that church. I love it. My parents love it and they love Jesus. And that's great because God convicts us all of different things and that's okay because we're all on different journeys. Um, But I just really found that I wanted to start having a Sabbath and I kind of just fell in love with this church and, you know, the SBA faith. Um, And so that started this two-year season that was two to three year that was just the most awkward transition in my whole entire life. And I think what made it so awkward for me changing churches was I did sort of an author multiple times. I would, you know, get really excited and be like, I want to be there. That's where I want to be. I want to go to church on Saturday. And I would kind of get up to go. I'd start telling my close friends and my leaders, and then I'd freak out. Someone would say something or I'd be like, no, I don't want to go, like, I'm safe here, my family's all here. And it just started, I just started doing that multiple times. And not being in that situation now, I look back at it and I'm like, wow, I was a drama queen. But I know <laughs> being in situations like that, um, it was horrible. And to give you a little context, I don't know if you guys have ever, like, been invited to a friend's friend's party before, and you're that awkward plus one. Or even um, if your parents have, like, old friends, like, old friends over, who you've apparently known all your life, but you don't know who they are still. And they rock up, and it's that awkward, I'm going to hide in my room. And so you hide in your room for a little bit. Or even if your kids have friends over, that's also awkward. Um, And so you hide in your room for a little bit, and then it's like, oh, I really want to go get some food, or I really need to go to the bathroom. And you don't want to go to that awkward, awkward, in that awkward situation where you have to, like, make small talk and say hello and all that. So you wait in your room, and you prolong the wait a little bit, and then it's like, dang, I really need to go out now. But I have to say hello, and they know that I've been hiding from them in my room. So it's just this all this awkward situation. Um, and pretty much, yeah, that's what how I was living for three years. I knew where I wanted to go. Um, I knew where my heart was, but I just didn't want to go through that awkward changing stage. Um, and pretty much all I can say is my life was really awkward for two years. And um, yeah, so I would do an all part. I would go to change churches and I wouldn't. 
Um, and my heart was just in two places. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that, where your heart's in two places. You have two different realities. Um, and I was just started doing things so half-heartedly. And I felt that. And it's a really horrible feeling when you do things half-heartedly. I was doing Christianity half-heartedly, pretty much. And it shows. Um, and I don't know if you can relate, you know, whether you um, have started on a journey like this, like these women, to a promised land. Um, and maybe God put a lot of excitement on your heart. Um, but like Orpah, along the road somewhere, someone said something, or you started blessing the promises and what God told you to do. Um, and if, you know, I really felt, if God told you, you know, that 2019 is your, 2019 is your year to do something, um, you know, whether it is leaving a job for maybe a more, a better and more fulfilling job um, that may have a pay decrease, and so you're kind of stuck with money, or he's telling you to move cities, um, and you're unsure how that would work, or uh, you're studying something, but you want to study something different, and you don't know how to do that, change, like how to change over, um, and yeah, if you've been in a situation like that, and you've kind of just prolonged it a little bit, um, and you've started doubting God, I really encourage you today, um, take a page out of my book, just take that step of faith, and trust God, and trust Him earlier rather than later, and I know it's easier said than done, easier said than done, um, and in Orpah's story, I'm always kind of questioning what happened to her afterwards, after she went back. So she, if the Bible tells us that she went back to her people and to her God. Um, a little bit of Bible story context again. Messianic li literature, I was researching about it. Um, Messianic literature and Jewish kind of scholars believe that Goliath um, actually descended from the line of Orpah, which is really funny because that means that Ruth's family line, so she was the great-grandma of King David, and Orpah's family line went to battle against each other. And obviously King David won, which was a big deal. Family lines seem to always clash in the Bible. That seems to be what happens. And Dave, King David obviously won. And I know it's quite extreme trying to relate that to our lives, but sometimes it's just the repercussions and it's just the ripple effect of turning away from God. And it's just the nature of sin. Um, she went back to her old God, and sometimes bad things do happen. And I think it is important to also know that ultimately God is still with us, walking beside us. And it may just mean if we don't trust him earlier and do it later, um, it may just mean that we take the more difficult route to our destination, the more painful, difficult route. But ultimately God is still with us, and he won't abandon us no matter how many times we take to 100% fully trust him. Um, and this finally clicked with me uh, a few months ago. I was just so tired of living in this situation where I was moving um, and losing friends and gaining friends and losing friends um, and just switching, changing, you know, and my heart was in two places. I was just so tired and worn out um, of just knowing where I should be and knowing where I belonged but not feeling that sense of belonging because I was, yeah, split in two places. And then finally I just said, okay, let's go, let's go, God, let's go. And... When I finally made the change, I was so much more supported than I thought I would be. You know, my family supports me so much, and they are totally fine with me coming. And my friends support me, and the church supports me. And I think I was just in my head with the whole, people are going to judge me. Um, they're going to think that I'm backsliding. You know, that was all in my head, whereas I got a lot of support. Um, but also, because I prolonged it for so long, I am feeling kind of the repercussions um, of not just going when God told me the first time. And... 
um, it would have saved me a lot of pain, heartache and time if I had just gone straight up there and told him. And I think it's important, like we should learn as Christians, we, don't, we, we need to learn as Christians that when to, to follow the call of God ASAP, ASAP, um, when he tells us, even if it's a little bit scary or even when it means leaving everything that you know, um, you know, because we need to, it's all about trusting him and knowing he's this all-knowing, incredible God who knows everything um, and we can rest in knowing that he wants the best for us. Um, and like in Ruth's case, there was a blessing on the other side of her obedience and trust. And I've got here written in capital letters, which um, was, yeah, just a little statement that I heard and I really want to live by this year. Um, and it's trust is the faith of action. Um, trust is faith in action. And faith is a, is a fruit of the spirit and also a fruit of our love for God. And so I think the next step as a church family, the next step in trusting God is just learning to love him with our whole hearts this year. Um, and I just want to leave you with a Bible verse, Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. And it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, give him your lives and he will make your path straight. So I'd like to invite wonderful Tim up to the stage to finish off the Bible study. So we're going to go more into the Ruth story now, and but before we do that, I want to ask you one question, or actually I've got two questions. First one is, has any of you trusted in God so much that you dropped everything that you've known and just gone with it? So raise hands if you have. I know there's a few of you. Up high, we can't see them if you're down low. Yeah, there we go. Ooh, awesome, awesome. And then the second one, I want you all to just close your eyes for a second. And again, with your hands, I want you to think about, have you like thought about trusting and following God and how hard it is? So do you think that trusting and following God is hard? Raise your hands if you do. Okay, cool. Awesome, awesome. So, I want to show you that trusting and following God is actually not as hard as you think it is. In Ruth 2, if you want to follow along in your Bibles as well, we go into how Ruth ends up into the fields and is able to explore this new step that God is showing her. So, we see that in Ruth 2 verse 2, she says to Naomi that um, this Moabitess, which is obviously she doesn't follow God, but she is known to be someone that follows other gods. But this Moabitess goes and says to Naomi, let me go into the fields and pick up the leftover grains behind anyone whose, whose eyes I find favor. Now, that is a huge step, going from your first home as such into another home and then saying, I want to go out and explore the world even though I probably might not be accepted, but I'll try and get along with everyone. 
<laughs> but she ends up asking Naomi, can I do this? And Naomi says, go, my, go ahead, my daughter. And so Naomi has given her permission and Ruth has gone, okay, I will trust in this permission and I'll trust in what God has laid on my heart to go out into these fields and I will, I will explore these uncharted waters or fields would be better. So she goes out and we see that Boaz um, has eyed this lovely lady who has ended up into his fields. And in verse 5, Boaz asks his foreman um, of his harvesters, whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, she is the Moabitess who comes back from Moab with Naomi. She, uh, she said to me, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the fields and has steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So that shows that she has, first of all, gone out into this field and worked so hard. And obviously everyone else is grateful for it. But Boaz has seen this hard work. And if you go back a verse, it does also show that he is really nice guy as he goes to his farmers and he says lord bless you thank you for coming and being in my fields today and they all say back to him lord bless you thank you for having us and so we can see that he already is a godlike character as he is willing to have all these people there but he's also caring for these people that are in his fields so when he sees that one woman in his fields that he doesn't know he's still like everyone else like who's that not sure who it is but he is willing to see how this goes and we then see that where am I at please God um he then says in verse 8 so Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girl, girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars in the other fields. So he is absolutely willing to let this lady into his field and he is also willing to protect her um, as he doesn't let a man touch this woman. And so then it goes on in the story that Naomi comes home and she's got a few, uh, a few things of food anyway. Um, so her mother-in-law is then like, whoa, where did you get this from? Where, which men, like, showed you this much favor? Like, not many people come home with so much food on their first day of work. So, Naomi goes to Ruth, uh, Ruth goes to Naomi and says, the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. And Naomi is so excited because 
at the start of Ruth, it says that, at the start, sorry, not at the start, but at the start of the second um, chapter, it says that Boaz is part of the family and he is one of their guardian redeemers. Now, if we go back to Hebrew times or Hebrew texts, it's actually, um, they're actually called a goel, which um, means redeemer. Um, and this legal term, guardian redeemer, is for someone who has the responsibility to redeem a relative in the times of serious difficulty. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I have struggled to keep my money away from paying for food and all of that because, you know, food's not easy and there's new clothes as well. So I always wish I could have a guardian redeemer that could just come along and pay for all of that, but I don't. And I'm still grateful that I have what I have. But Naomi has this amazing idea that Ruth can go to this guardian redeemer and ask for him to take care of them. And I look back at this story and I'm like, okay, so Boaz is kind of this God-like character and he shows that he is able to redeem us regardless of our sins. So what is the story that I can tell? And when I was little, in the good old days, as you might say, um, when scooters were the thing and mp3 players where you had your headphones not your airpods get that right um (laughs) but back in those days we had this amazing book fair at Tagulawa state school out in the middle of nowhere and there was posters of puppies posters of little chickens and There was books that I really wanted. And I'm like, yes, I'm going to go and get all of this stuff. I'm going to get all my pocket money that I've been given and I'm going to go get all this stuff. So I went in and I bought a few pencils and a few rubbers because that's all I could get with my pocket money. And then I came home and I'm like, oh, I know the book fair is on for the next couple of days. Where else can I get money from? So don't do this, kids at all, ask your parents, permission, but I went and stole $150 worth of money and spent it all on this book fair. I came home, my parents found out, and I was really upset because I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, my parents are never going to forgive me for this, ever. But they did. They told me to go back to my school, take everything I had, return it, get the money back, and bring it back. So I did. And my parents then sat me down and they were like, look, Kim, we know that you wanted that stuff, but you have to realize that what you've done is wrong. And we can see that, but we forgive you. We're not going to hold this against you. We forgive you. And you can keep living your life. Just don't forget it again. Never done it again, though. No, never done that again. But as my parents did, 
we can also forgive others. And it's that simple to follow God as well. We can ask God for forgiveness for anything that we've done, and he will forgive us. We just need to trust him that he has forgiven us and make the decision to follow what he has planned for us next. Now, Boaz definitely followed what was planned next after he left these things. So Naomi told Ruth to get into her best clothes and put on her best perfume and go into the threshing floor, which is where all the barley is stamped on so that all the little grains come out and you can then eat it. And she says to Ruth, go and lie at his feet and make him comfortable when he has eaten and drunk enough to then fall asleep. So she does. She, she willingly goes out in her best clothes, in her best perfume, to this man that she only met the other day and goes and lays at his feet once he has fallen asleep. And Boaz then wakes up in the middle of the night and goes, whoa, who's this woman? She's laying on my feet. Uh Uh-oh. But anyways, Ruth gets up and she's like, Boaz, you have been sent to us from the Lord. You are our guardian redeemer. And, I mean, that, that would have been an amazing coincidence. I mean, you come back from Moab and then you come to Bethlehem and there's your guardian redeemer that you've been married into the family with. So he then sends her home, but he doesn't send her home empty-handed. He sends her home with about six measures of barley, which, look, it hasn't been fully interpreted yet, but it can be interpreted as it was enough to um, show that she's worked hard and um, that she's come back from a night of working. So then Boaz is showing that she is unstained to the outside world because she doesn't have that eye of why is she out in her best clothes with a man at the threshing floor in the most private area that you could almost have. So he sends her home with this, making sure that she is taken care of and Naomi is taken care of through that because they then have more food. Boaz, once once Naomi finds out that this has happened, Boaz, he then takes his time out of the day, out of his day, to go um, to ten of the elders of Bethlehem, um, and also another guardian redeemer who was actually closer to Naomi's family than Boaz was. So he brings them to the gates and sits them down. Um, And this is in chapter 4, by the way. Um, But he brings them to sit down, and he goes to the other guardian redeemer, and he's like, will you be willing to take Ruth and, well, not Ruth, but Naomi and her family and her property uh, 
as they need redeeming. And this other guy is like, yeah, yeah, I definitely will. Yeah, that's cool. I'll, I'll buy their property. I'll get them in. And then Boaz is like, um, one thing, though. You kind of need to marry Ruth because she's also in that bundle. And as soon as he mentions this, the other guy's like, no. Um, so he then takes off his sandal, which in those times was a thing of passing over the idea of buying. So as a legal document, he takes off his shoe, his sandal, and goes, Boaz, I can't buy it, but you need to buy it. So he places it on the ground, and that legal document was signed. Boaz was so willing and so ready that he got up and pronounced it to the world that he was going to buy this land and this property. So he stands up and he's like, today, elders and you guardian redeemers and anyone at the gate, today is the day that I buy the property from Naomi and I acquire Ruth. And then... The people at the gate and the elders say, we are witnesses. And this is verse 11 of chapter 4. We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, May your family be that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. And this is basically saying, may, may your offspring be the blessing of God. And indeed it was. Um, and if we could get the image up, that would be awesome. But Boaz, once he married Ruth, he actually had a child, Obed. Then Obed was the... Uh, father of Jesse, who was then the father of King David. And then King David had Nathan and Solomon. And Solomon's line led to uh, Joseph. And Nathan's line led to Mary. So out of this stepping out of their comfort zones and willing and trusting in God that everything would work out, Jesus was then born into their family. And I want to leave one more thing with you guys before I finish up. Um, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, uh, it says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Jesus Christ may rest on me. So if you go to God and say, I am struggling and I've made all these sins in the past and I've made these choices that I regret and I don't know how other people will handle it. You can just go to him and he will take on those weaknesses and he will forgive you as long as you're willing to trust and follow him. And this final statement I want you to take with you is don't just do it in the moment. Like Naomi, like Orpha, and, um, yeah, so don't do it in the moment. 
Do it because you are willing to trust and follow God into the future, like Ruth and like Boaz. So I'll just hand it over to these amazing singers.